in our study of the Gospel of Luke as we have come now to the last week of Jesus' life. Last week, we find that the religious leaders, those religious leaders are asking Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you that authority? Really remember last week, they are asking Jesus, really, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You've come here, you've taken over the temple. You're now teaching, you've taken up teaching here in the courtyard. You've allowed your followers to to hail you and to call you as the Jewish king, as the Messiah, and they are asking Jesus, who do you think you are? Who do you think that you are? Well, here's an important question. Who do we think that he is? And really, the important question is this. How important is it to get right who Jesus is? How important is it to be, to be absolutely right, to be correct in who Jesus is? I mean, does it really matter that we are exactly right in our understanding of Jesus? Now, let me just tell you, there are a lot of different ideas about Jesus. There are a lot of different teachings about Jesus. The Muslims... They hold Jesus in high regard. That may be surprising to you, but they actually hold Jesus in high regard. They believe he is one of the highest ranking prophets of Allah and that he speaks for God. The Buddhists, they also hold Jesus in a high regard. They believe that he was an enlightened man, a supernaturally enlightened man who brings wisdom to humanity. And so if you'll study the teachings of Jesus, you'll also be enlightened. The Hindus, they go further. They believe that he could be a God, that he could be a deity, but any less, he is a great teacher. Gandhi, their most famous follower, loved the teachings of Jesus, and he would quickly brag on Jesus. In fact, he tried to live out the Beatitudes spoken by Jesus. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe Jesus is a son of God. They believe he is the word of God. They believe he was resurrected from the dead. They also believe he is an archangel. He's actually Michael the archangel who was created by God and sent to teach about God, but they would say in no way is he God. Mormons, they go further, and they would say he's the son of God. They would say he died and was resurrected as a sacrifice for sin, but they also believe he is a man that through good living became a God. And they would say we look to him. He is our model that we might also through good living become gods. All of these teachings and many, many more, all of these ideas about Jesus. And again, the question is, does it really matter who Jesus is? Can't we just agree to get to disagree? Isn't it just enough to hit the high parts? Does it truly matter who Jesus is? Friend, let me tell you this morning, not only does it matter, it gravely matters. It eternally matters. And that's the grand scheme of Satan. You see, it doesn't matter if you embrace 
some truth about Jesus. If it's not the biblical Jesus, you are lost. And so, yes, it does matter. That's why we teach the truth. That's why we fight to uphold the truth. That's why Jesus called himself the truth. It absolutely does matter what we believe of Jesus Christ. Our message today is entitled, Jesus, the Cornerstone. Jesus, the Cornerstone. We're in Luke chapter 20 today. We're gonna look at verses nine through 18. Luke chapter 20 today, verses nine through 18. Jesus, the Cornerstone. I'm gonna ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 20, beginning here in the ninth verse. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they would give him some of the produce of the vineyard. But the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send another slave. And they beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send a third. And this one they also wounded and cast out. The owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another saying, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. When they heard it, they said, may it never be. But Jesus looked at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful today for you. We're thankful for your love and your grace shown through us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we're thankful that you are coming again and there's gonna be a day when there will actually be a midnight cry and you will come for your people. We look forward to that day. But in the meantime, you tell us that you're patient, that you're gracious, that you're kind, desiring that none should perish. And so I pray in the meantime that we would present and we would defend and we would uphold the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of the gospel. I pray that today as we study your word that you would speak to us. And I pray that it, again, would not be a normal event. It wouldn't be a natural event. It wouldn't be some sort of academic lecture, but that it would be the word of the living God spoken to his people today. I pray for some that are here that maybe do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pray that today in the hearing of the gospel, the drawing of your spirit, that today might be the day of their salvation. Lord, we, we do tell you, our heart's response is to honor you, to worship you, to submit to you, to call you Lord, to praise the name of Jesus. And it's in his name I pray, amen. You may be seated. This, the 
last week of Jesus' life, he has been revealing, or it has been revealed, a lot has been revealed about our Savior, Jesus. Now, as we walk through the events of this last week, it is really pretty amazing to see the picture of Jesus that is emerging, to see the, the picture of our Savior that is unfolding in this last week. As we come to this week, we see him now firmly as the Savior. All these prophecies are being fulfilled. Some have been fulfilled. And we see him now as he comes into Jerusalem firmly as the Messiah. In this week, as we read through the events of this week, we see his priority. We see his purpose, that he came to secure our redemption. If there was any ever, any, ever any doubt of what he was doing, he came literally to save us. In this week, we see his sacrificial resolve. And as I think about each day of this week, as I read of these events, it is crazy to know that at any time, he could have said no. At any time, he could have said, no, I'll not subject myself to this. And as we watch the events of this week, we see his resolve and we see his sacrifice as he walks the very last steps as the Lamb of God. There was a lot revealed in this last week. And I believe in this last week, we see more clearly his power. His power. Maybe not like we would expect it. For sure, not like they were expecting it. But with each of these events, with each step closer to the cross, to his death and resurrection, I believe we see the power of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember the question of last week. Really, that's, that's going to be the kind of the overarching thing behind our, our verses today. Remember the, the question of last week. Who do you think you are? It says they confront him. They, they come up to him and they, they tower over the Savior. Who do you, who do you think you are? What, what authority do you hold? How demeaning is that to the Savior, to Jesus? What authority do you hold? Who, who do you think that you are? Seriously, you? Who do you think that you are? Well, remember that question. You, who do you think you are? Let's look at our verses, starting in verse nine. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time. Verse nine starts off and it says, and he began to tell the people this parable. Now remember the verses from last week. He is at the temple and he is teaching there at the temple and it says that he is confronted by the priests and the scribes and the elders, the respected men. He is there teaching and they confront him and then he has that conversation with them that's recorded in the first eight verses of chapter 20. And so he has been having this conversation with those who have confronted him. Well, now it says he again addresses the people. He addresses the whole of them. He, he begins and he says to the people, listen, listen to this, see this. And he starts to paint 
this picture. Understand, it is a message for all the people. And he began to tell the people this parable. Jesus is painting a picture. And I really can't imagine the heaviness of of the, the picture as it unfolds, but Jesus is painting a picture. And so today, let us see the picture as well. The, the, the Bible says, a man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers. Now understand this, it was his. He established it. He established it. He, he possessed it. It was his, but they tended to it. The Bible says he rented it to them, and he went on a journey for a long time. Now the vineyard here represents Israel. In Isaiah chapter five, sometime maybe this afternoon, if you've got some time, go read Isaiah chapter five. It is describing this vineyard. They were expecting good fruit, but instead it, it produced bad fruit. There in Isaiah five, it is describing this vineyard they would have understood what he was referring to. They would have understood what he's talking about. And so the the vineyard here represents Israel. And so in the picture, a man plants a vineyard and he rents it out to some vine growers. Now see this, I think it's, it's worth noting here. Jesus says he rented the vineyard to vine growers. That's, that's what you would do. He rented the vineyard to vine growers. They they should have been the ones. They should have been the ones that you would most trust with a vineyard. Who else would you trust with a vineyard? And so the vineyard is in care of those most likely to have cared for it. Here's a vineyard. He rents it to vine growers. Just makes sense. And with the vineyard in the hands of the vine growers, it says, and the man went on a journey for a long time time, for an extended period of time. Verse 10, at the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they would give him some of the produce of the vineyard. But the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty handed. Now see the picture here. At the harvest, the owner sent a slave to these vine growers. Now they were going to collect some of the produce, some of the grapes, but they beat him and they sent him away empty handed. Now, so you see the picture here, the the vineyard was Israel and the vine growers, they are these religious leaders. These are the, the priests and the scribes and the elders. They were the ones that should have been caring for the vineyard. They were the ones that should have been caring for the nation. Verse 10 again. And at the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they would give him some of the produce of the vineyard, but the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Verse 11. And he proceeded to send another slave, and they beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. Now here in the 11th verse, it escalates where the first slave, they beat him and they sent him away. This one, the Bible says they beat him and now Jesus says they, they treated him shamefully and then they sent him away also empty-handed. Treated him shamefully 
is a Greek word that means they dishonored him. It, it holds the thought they robbed him of his honor. Literally, they put shame on him. They disgraced him. They made him a disgrace. Here comes the slave. He's taking care of the master's business. It's no business of his own. He has nothing to gain from this. And they rob him of his honor and they put shame on him. Verse 12. And he proceeded to send a third. And this one also they wounded and cast out. Wounded. They inflicted, inflicted wounds on him and they cast him out. Now for the picture. Who are the slaves? Who are these slaves representing? It is, and he is, referring to the Old Testament prophets. Those who brought God's word to his people. He's talking about those faithful men who came and at their own cost and at their own peril faithfully brought down the word from God. God had a message for his nation. God had a message for his people. And by these faithful slaves, these prophets of old, he sent the message. Now, you can almost feel the tension in the air. Maybe you can almost feel the, the conflict, the, the heaviness that is now in the air. You see these religious leaders who had just insulted Jesus and asked him, who do you think that you are? By what authority do you come? They're just like the ones before them that beat and disgraced and shamed these mighty prophets who did the master's work. Sometimes we miss the cost of the heartbreak of these prophets. I think today for sure, sometimes we miss the cost that they paid. We miss the heartache that they endured. These were, these were real people. And I think sometimes we go and we pick our favorite verses and we pick our favorite passages and we say, oh, to be Isaiah today. Oh, to be Jeremiah today. Oh, if I could have that kind of relationship with God. Oh, to be like that. Hebrews chapter 11 of those folks, those prophets says, others were tortured and others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with a sword. They walked around in sheepskin and in goatskins, not the fine clothes that you would think of a servant of God being destitute wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. They treated them worse than animals. And the Bible says those of whom the world was not worthy. I want to tell you, I like to hear this. I, I like to see this because as poorly as they are treated, this shows me Jesus saw them. Jesus saw them. Isaiah, he's heartbroken. He's rejected. He's hated by his nation. But Jesus sees him. Jesus saw him. Jeremiah, as he's crying there in his bed, crying in the dark of the night, not crying for himself, but crying for the people. Jesus saw him. Jesus saw him. Elijah 
to He's tired and he's scared and he's under the tree there. Jesus saw him. Jesus saw him. And he calls these people for what they were. Jesus saw him. Traveled the earth in heartache. Jesus saw him. He calls them out. Picture goes on. Verse 13. The owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. No people ever more blessed. No nation, no people ever more prepared. No people ever graced more through the word of God. And the owner says here, what shall I do? What what shall I do? And he says, I will send my beloved son and perhaps they will respect him. It means literally to revere him or to give him a higher status. I will send my beloved son and maybe they'll listen to him. They haven't listened to my slaves. They haven't listened to my messengers, but I'll send my beloved son and maybe they'll give him some sort of status. Maybe they'll listen to him. I'll send my beloved son and maybe they will respect him. Do you hear it? For God so loved the world that he sent, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Do you hear it? He sent his son. Verse 14. But when the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another saying, this is their, the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. When they saw him, when they saw that he was the son, Jesus, when they saw him, they reasoned, we will will kill him, we'll do away with him, we'll kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. I want to tell you, that is terrible logic. What terrible logic that is. When they see he's the son, we'll kill him and then the inheritance will be ours. Terrible logic. See this. Picture this. Can you imagine now what they are thinking? Can you imagine now their hearts beating? You see, they had decided of Jesus. They couldn't discard of him. They couldn't send him away. They couldn't discourage him and and him go away on his own. And so they had decided to destroy him. The end of chapter 19, they have decided to destroy him. They've decided we will kill him. We'll be done with him and this will be ours. And now can you imagine as they hear can, can you imagine as they know, hey, this is, this, these are our plans. Can you imagine as they wonder, who's been talking? Did, did somebody say something? Verse 15. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner 
of the vineyard do to them. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. They, they did it. They, they took the beloved son. They took the, the master's son and they killed him. The master's son is dead. Imagine as, as they listen here, imagine as the, the silence grows heavy. Jesus says, what then will the owner of the vineyard do? Imagine the, the silence, imagine the beating of their heart as they lean in. What's, what's the owner gonna do then? They lean in. Verse 16. He will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. Their, their, their blood begins to boil. The hair on their neck stands up. He will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. The word for destroy, we saw it a few weeks ago. It means to cut off or to bring ruin upon, to forever be lost. He's gonna come, he's gonna destroy them and he's gonna give the vineyard to others. They say, may it never be, it'll never be, no. Verse 17. Verse 17, story time's over. Verse 17, the veiled accusations are over. Jesus looks them in the eye in verse 17. Verse 17. But Jesus looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Here in verse 17, Jesus quotes Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected. The word rejected here in the Greek means deemed as worthless. It means deemed as not fit, not usable. The stone which the builders rejected, he's now talking squarely, fully about them. That stone became the chief cornerstone. Jesus looks over and he looks them in the eye and he, the chief cornerstone says, what you saw as a small stone, something to cast away, is actually the greatest stone. He says what you saw as a stone of insignificance is actually the stone of most importance. And he says that stone will be the foundation of God's kingdom. Listen to me, folks. That foundation is Jesus himself. He's the chief cornerstone. He's not done. Verse 18. Verse 18, remember the question. It's really the only way to interpret this verse. Verse 18, remember the question, what authority do you have? Who gave it to you? Who do you think that you are? What authority do you have? The chief cornerstone says this. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. But on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Now, just to tell you, there is some debate as to the meaning of verse 18. Here's what I believe. I believe it's talking about here two events of God's judgment. Understand, Jesus is the righteous judge, but Jesus is also the dividing line. Jesus is also the standard of that judgment. Jesus is the stone. 
and whoever falls on that stone, falls means to fail or to fall down or to fall into ruin. Whoever falls on that stone, whoever fails on Jesus, who Jesus is, whoever falls into ruin on who Jesus is, will be broken to pieces. They will be lost. They will be ruined. That is the truth. And so, yes, it matters who it is. For sure, it matters who it is. Yes, it matters that it is exactly correct. The second event in verse 18 is talking about his second coming. But on whomever it falls, it's talking about his second coming. You see, when he comes again, those who have rejected him, those who have missed him, those who haven't received him, when it comes, when he comes, they will be scattered like dust. They will forever be destroyed. You see, they asked him the question, who do you think that you are? They towered over him and they asked him about his authority. And Jesus says here in the form of this parable, I am the stone rejected by you, the builders. I am the stone by which eternity will be established. I am the stone by which all men will be judged. And you may lean over me on this day and you may even kill me in a few days, but he's telling them, friends, there's gonna be a day when I come again and I'm gonna come with a fire in my eyes and a sword in my mouth and I'm coming on a white horse and the angels and the armies of heaven are coming with me and I'm coming as the King of kings and Lord of lords and you'll never ask me again by whose authority I do it. He is the cornerstone. Never again subjected to the ridicule of men. By whose authority? You just wait and I'll come again and in power you will see. And that's on that side of the cross. We see his power. We serve a mighty Savior. We serve a powerful Savior. So powerful with a silent mouth, like a sheep before his shears go, he walks out the days of this week, submits to a death on the cross of Calvary to secure his purpose of people redeemed. But make no mistake, there'll be no question by whose authority. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today And I am astounded by such power. Didn't have to take it. Didn't have to submit to it. Didn't even have to start the process. Humbled yourself, coming as a man. Submitting yourself to to death, even death on a cross. Taking the mocking of these people. They mocked your servants in the past. And now they tower over and they mock you. But in great power, you go to the cross. In great power, you're resurrected. And in great power, we look forward to a day you come again. We're thankful, Lord, for a powerful, mighty Savior. Lord, I pray for some in this service that do not know you. And my heart's plea, Lord, is that they would find you today. They wouldn't leave here in darkness today. They wouldn't leave here lost today, Lord. 
Oh, but that they would find you today. Move in their hearts. Move in our midst. I pray that we would be a people blown away, astounded by our powerful Savior. So much so that we could not be silent. So much so that we couldn't be changed. So much so that we wouldn't carry it to a lost world. Lord, I truly do praise you and worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.